0: this is saving grace living in light of god's love a podcast ministry brought to you by grace school of theology a seminary to the world committed to the truth of scripture and life application through the lens of grace
1: hi i am raylene Berry. i am truly excited to be your host of today's podcast In this series, we have looked at trials and failures as two of the reasons we can be broken and through which God can heal and repair and make something more beautiful. Today, we will look at suffering. We will hear from Grace alumnus, former adjunct professor, Bible teacher, and Pastor Mark Ray, who has stepped into the role of VP of Community Development for Grace, as well as the Executive Director of the Center for Grace suffering is not an easy topic but one we should tackle to understand the reason and the necessary response let's listen in as mark ray who taught this series at midland bible church as he shares with us the sufferings of afflictions
0: come as you are it's a wonderful call from the lord for us to come with no pretense, with no faces, with no glazed covering on us, but for us to come honestly, openly, with all the hurts and all the pains that are there. We have been talking for the last couple of weeks about this issue of how are we strong at the broken places. We get the chance, and we have had the chance, to look at how the Lord works in those things in our life that break us in order to bring us to a place of strength. We talked two weeks ago about our trials, the trials that we come up against and how, how in those trials what James says we're to consider a joy because through those trials what God does with us is he molds and shapes our character. He, he brings patience into our life. He, he brings about a completeness, a perfection to us that can only come through that refining. Last week we looked at failure through the life of Peter and the multiple times that Peter failed, and yet out of that how God's grace and his blessing overflowed on him to the point that it turned him from the man who, who denied Christ and hid to the man who led a movement, the movement of Jesus Christ. And he says the same thing to us in the midst of our failures, that our failures don't have to be fatal. This morning... We're going to look at another uplifting topic. We're going to look at suffering this morning. And I will tell you, suffering is not an easy topic to talk about, but it's one that every single one of us has had in some way, shape, or form. Suffering from illness or infirmity, suffering from emotional, physical, spiritual pain, suffering in some way, shape, or form, it's all touched each one of us. And we want to look deeply at those times in which suffering has broken us. And what does God do in the midst of that? We're going to do it by looking at the lives of five different biblical characters and what suffering, suffering meant to them, the reasons for that suffering and their response to that suffering. But I want to start first with um, this, kind of, this quote. There was a, a German theologian by the name of Helmut Thiel He was touring the United States for the first time and he was asked the question, what's the greatest challenge facing America? You might have thought he would say communism or he might say war or he might say any of those kind of things. But here's here's what he said. He said, the question of suffering, it seems to me, appears in the lexicon of Americans only at the place where things which are to be overcome are discussed. The place of suffering... And how America deals with suffering may be the greatest challenge to them in their time. He said, we ought to become aware of how devastating can be the illusion that we can banish suffering from the world and that its extermination is the only task it represents to us. In other words, there are noble efforts going on to to eliminate suffering, but if we think we can extinguish it from the world, we're wrong." Instead, we must try to learn again that suffering must also be accepted, that it is sent to us and laid on us. And then he concluded the interview with this statement. He said, we Christians know from the gospel to what extent suffering is the raw material from which God wants to make something beautiful. Amen? If we think that we can exterminate suffering, we take away one of those elements in which God molds and shapes and refines us. We take away the opportunity for God to work on us in a way different from any other way he can work on us. We take away the opportunity for God in the midst of suffering to bring out beauty. We're going to look at these five people and the examples that they give us of perhaps some reasons behind why suffering exists on the face of the earth and how they respond to it. The first one we're going to look at is Peter. Now, we looked at length at Peter and his failures, but Peter also suffered, and it was very clear that Peter suffered, not only after the resurrection of Jesus, he suffered as an apostle, ultimately being martyred and crucified upside down, but he suffered incredibly mentally, emotionally, spiritually when he denied Christ. The three days that he was in the tomb, the multitude of time, the 40 days that it took before Peter actually was forgiven by Jesus must have just been unbelievably anguishing. I want you to hear what Jesus says to him in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. The Lord said to Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Well, we know that Satan is alive in this world, and we know that Satan is one of those avenues in which suffering comes into being, that Satan is a master at wanting to bring suffering upon believers and unbelievers alike. He is the one that causes evil. He is the one that causes suffering in this world. And so Satan is one avenue. But I want you to see how Jesus responds after he says that, that Satan has made this request, Peter, to sift you, to bring suffering upon you. Jesus says in verse 32, but I have prayed for you. I just want to stop there for a minute. Imagine what Jesus just said to Peter. I, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, have prayed for you. Does he do that for us? Does he do that for us? The Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is our intermediate. He's our intercessor. He takes our prayers directly to the throne room of his Father. He prays for us in the midst of our suffering. And look at what he says to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Notice what he didn't say. I have prayed for you that Satan would be taken away from you. I have prayed for you that this suffering would go away from you. I have prayed for you that you wouldn't have to endure this. No, no. What he says is, I have prayed for you that in the midst of this suffering, your faith would be strengthened. Because that's what Christ is looking for. When he returns, he wants to find a people that are strong in their faith. And it's a strength of faith that is only found when it's tested through things like suffering. I pray that your faith would not fail. And then he says, and when you have returned to me, The foregone conclusion that he's going to survive this, that he's going to come out with a stronger faith, and he's going to return to Jesus even after he denies him. Then he says, Peter, I want you to go strengthen the brothers. Well, what do you think he's going to strengthen the brothers with? A faith that has endured suffering because he knows the suffering is going to come to the other brothers. So he gets a chance to go out and actually strengthen the brothers brothers by going through what he has actually been through. One of the beauties that we get in this life really sounds strange, but one of the beauties that we get in this life is when we suffer, we don't do it alone because Christ is with us. He prays for us. He takes that. He wants our faith to be strengthened so that when others go through same or similar suffering, guess what we get the opportunity to do? We get to say to them, been there, done that. I'm going to walk alongside of it with you. I'm going to strengthen your faith. Because I've been where you, where you are. The privilege of standing with someone who goes through a time of suffering is incredible. The reason for Peter's suffering, made very clear by this passage, is that Satan's out there and Satan wants to destroy. Now why does Satan want to destroy? Well, we apart from any other of God's creation, we have the image of God residing in us, Right? We manifest the character of Christ. It is a beautiful thing when we do that. And Satan wants nothing to do with things of beauty. So he wants to destroy those things that reflect the image of Christ. Well, guess what, friends? That's you and me. We reflect the image of Jesus Christ. If we belong to him, we manifest his character to the world, and Satan wants to destroy that. So one of the ways that suffering comes into play is when Satan brings suffering upon us so that we will lose our faith and walk away and not manifest the character of Christ. But Christ says, I will pray for you. I'll pray that your, strength is faith, your faith is strengthened. I will pray that you will go strengthen the brothers. Listen to what 1 John says. First John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So can we overcome suffering? Can we overcome Satan? Yes. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The one who is in you, the one who resides in you, the one who is in you because of your trust and faith in Jesus Christ can conquer anything out there, including Satan who brings that suffering upon you. Now listen to Peter. 1 Peter 4, Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You see, he says exactly, Peter says, this is what Christ did with me. Let those who suffer commit themselves to doing good. The response here is that we go out and we do good. Why? Because when we do good, which is the will of the Father for us, Ephesians 2.10, he's created you in his image, you are his workmanship, created for good works that he's prepared beforehand. When we go out and do good works, it takes the the focus off of me and my suffering. I get a chance to go serve somebody else. I get a chance to take the focus off of me and out there so, so my suffering doesn't become the focal point of my life. The response Peter gives us is when Satan attacks you and you're in the midst of suffering because of Satan, go do good because it takes your focus off of you and puts your focus on Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter says there's a whole world watching how you handle suffering. And how you handle suffering is going to show off God to the world. Perhaps. Perhaps what God wants to give you is eternal rewards for a short period of time of suffering. How long are we on this earth? 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. How long is eternity? It's a long time. A short period of time of suffering for eternal rewards. What Peter says is, take your focus off yourself and go do good. First reason, Satan, first response to that, go do good because it takes the focus off of you and puts it on Jesus Christ. Reason number two, and we see this in the life of David, reason number two for suffering in this world is sin, my own sin and the sin of others. David penned Psalm 109, and in the first five verses of Psalm 109, he clearly paints out How sin from others has made him suffer. I want you just to hear a couple of phrases out of this. David says, for the mouth of the wicked and from the mouth of the deceitful, they have spoken against me. With a lying tongue, they have spoken against me. They've surrounded me with words of hatred. They have fought against me without a cause. There is just time and time again that David in the opening says, the sinful nature of man against me has caused me suffering because it is sin against me. When I want to love on them, they hate me. When I send words of blessing to them, they curse me. They lie about me. This sin imposes this suffering on David. And then in verses 14 through 24, he says, the sin not only goes to me, but it goes to all mankind. Listen to some of the the yuck that comes out of our sin. He says, the ones who sin, they do not remember to show mercy. They persecute the poor and the needy. They might even slay the broken in heart. They love cursing. They do not delight in blessing. Over and over again, the sin that is laid upon mankind is another element of suffering that comes into it. And what does David say about it? Listen to him in Psalm 109. At the end of Psalm 109, he says, Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand. David is saying, I will trust in you, even in the midst of this suffering, that you, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. And then he says in 30 and 31, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor and save, to save from those, those who condemn him. He is saying that God will be in the middle of it with us. We trust the God of the universe. Even in the midst of sin that surrounds us, listen to him in Psalm 9. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, for those who suffer, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Now, the difficulty with this is that many times suffering that comes about comes about because of our own sin. Ken Geyer wrote a little statement in Shape by the Cross, it's a very convicting statement. He said, You and I have had a hand in the suffering of Christ. We share in the responsibility for his wounds. Because of our sin, it's our sin that nailed him to the cross and brought suffering upon him. But he goes on and he says, This we follow a king whose victory came through defeat. This defeat came at the hands of his enemies. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, wounded that we might be healed. And he says these are passive verbs. Other people have done this to Jesus. Just like sin may have brought suffering upon us or our sin brought suffering upon someone else. Well, Paul's the next one we're going to look at. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Now what he's talking about here is Paul was one of those incredibly learned scholars. He knew, he knew the Jewish tradition, he knew the Torah, he knew it all forward and backward. He knew the law forward and backward. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, knocked off his donkey, his eyes were opened because this was a man who believed that you're cursed if you hang on a tree. Until he came to the understanding through Christ that Christ became a curse for him and it radically changed his theology. And over the course of the next several years, God just filled him with revelation after revelation after revelation so that he penned most of the New Testament for us. So he says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. In other words, I've got so much knowledge in here, what I really could do is I could lift myself above anybody else. I could exalt myself because of how much knowledge I've got. But a thorn in the flesh was given to me. I have this thorn in my flesh, this thorn in my side that's been given to me. There's been a tremendous amount of speculation about what was this thorn in the flesh, Was it eyesight? Was it a limp? Was it a stutter? Was it epilepsy? Ultimately, listen to what he says about this. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times I begged him to take this away from me, and he didn't. Instead, what he gave me was, my grace is sufficient for you. My presence, my love for you, me being in this with you is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect, in weakness. Paul begged for that thorn to be taken away, but God didn't take the thorn away specifically so that he could identify with Christ differently. He could be strengthened in the midst of that suffering. And he learns dependence on this. He learns dependence. You see, he had a temptation to to hang on to his own strength and not be dependent upon Christ. But when he depends on Christ, when Christ becomes his strength and he is weak, he learns Christ in a whole new manner. He meets him in a whole new place. It's where you see in Philippians 3, Paul says, that I would identify with his sufferings. I want to know Christ so well that I suffer with him. I identify with the same sufferings he had. That's how deeply Paul wanted to know him. Because you see, Paul understood that God's goal for us is not comfort. It's character. And our character is only refined in that furnace of trial, that furnace of suffering, where we come to know Christ differently than we would in any other place. Chuck Swindoll says, one of the marks of maturity is the quiet confidence that God's in control. Without the need to understand why he does what he does, the finite can never plumb the depths depths of the infinite. God knows what he's doing with each one of us, and whether it's Satan or sin or a strengthening, we go through sufferings so that we can meet God at a completely different place, a place we've never thought of before. So when Hugh says God seldom uses anyone unless he has put them through the test of suffering and adversity, remember Jesus began his ministry in a wilderness before he entered it in a garden. So there's a fourth one here. <laughs> this one You may never have heard of this guy. His name is Haman the Ezraite. Haman is a son of Korah, and he penned Psalm 88. I'm not going to take the time to read through Psalm 88. You can read it for yourself. Psalm 88 is one of those psalms in which you see no thanksgiving. You see no praise. You see nothing, no joy. You see nothing come out of it other than a man who is in the midst of suffering and asks question after question after question of God. Where are you? Are you there? In fact, Haman writes this to the chief musician and has him put it to the song, The Affliction of Suffering. That's the name of the song, The Affliction of Suffering. It's like we would put something to the song Amazing Grace. There was a song named The Affliction of Suffering. That's how much suffering was going on at the time. And Haman unfolds in Psalm 88 this song. Litany of struggle, this litany of suffering, and question after question to God that he never seems to answer. There was another German theologian, this guy's name was Walter Brueggemann, and Brueggemann in his commentary on the Psalms says this. Now just, just hear this for a moment. He says Psalm 88 is an embarrassment to conventional faith. It's the cry of the believer whose life has gone awry, who desperately seeks contact with God, but who is unable to evoke a response from God. This is indeed the dark night of the soul when the troubled person must be and must stay in the darkness of abandonment and be utterly alone. The reason for suffering in Haman's life is seemingly unknown. We don't know why. We're not given any reason why. And Brueggemann concludes his Study of this psalm with this statement. Psalm 88, though, is what the cross is all about. It is faithfulness in scenes of complete abandonment. Where Christ was. And maybe the response to suffering when it's seemingly unknown is that God is developing patience in us. Patience to see it through. Listen to... Listen to what Ken Geyer says in The North Face of God, this wonderful book about when you're you're in suffering and you're you're pouring your heart out to God and it it seems to hit like the north face of Everest, cold and unrelenting that you hear nothing back. Geyer says there is no formula for getting through suffering. That dark night, there are no five keys to faithfulness in the midst of abandonment, no time-tested techniques to help you survive the night. The darkness strips, it, strips us of our keys, our formulas, our techniques. It takes them and tosses them down the side of a mountain. And though we feel we can't make the climb without them, the truth is that those keys and techniques were some of the very things that weighed us down and held us back. Because what God's desiring for us is to work through suffering with him, have the patience to see what he's doing with it, not a quick fix, a quick five keys to get me through this. When it's seemingly unknown, God walks through it with us. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Selwyn so Hughes again says, one of the most poignant elements in suffering is that there often seems to be no meaning in it, except that God's in it with us. There was a woman by the name of Shelly Beach. She wrote a little book called Precious Lord, Take My Hand. And it's the story of her working through the dimension Alzheimer's that settled on her family, on her parents. She says this, Through the words of Scripture, God whispered to my heart that I had no reason to fear. He himself had summoned my mother by name. He had formed and shaped her. He would work out the details of her life, even a life with Alzheimer's. For his glory... And her good, He had summoned my mother down a path we would not have chosen, but it was a path he had marked, and he would be there with each step. There is a final person we want to take a look at. Obviously, this final person is Jesus in his suffering. Listen to what Pilate said to Jesus. As he was getting ready to be crucified, Pilate said, Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus replied and said, You would have no power over me were it not given to you from above. Why is Jesus going through the sacrifice? Why is Jesus going through the suffering? And I will tell you exactly why. For you and for me. That's why he went through it. And what was the suffering? Well, Isaiah 53 tells us that. He was marred beyond recognition. He was rejected by the very people he was dying for. Our transgressions were laid upon him. He was bruised. He was beaten for you and for me that sacrifice of suffering that he went through was for you and for me. His response? Our salvation. At communion, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my suffering, my broken body, my shed blood on your behalf. Remember my suffering. This is what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, why are so many holy places dark places? The cross, the tomb, the stable. He said, I believe they're holy because even in the dark of night, God is at work. Breaking through the husk around our hearts and bringing life from under the dead leaves. Even in the midst of suffering, God's at work. And we see that in the cross, that that suffering that Christ went through birthed something incredible in us. Salvation, forgiveness, eternal life that starts now and goes free." Et- all of the 33 divine gifts of grace that uh, accompany that. It's what God birthed in the midst of this. Selwyn Hughes tells the story of a young Indian princess, uh, young Indian prince, excuse me, that when he was born, his parents wanted to remove any sign of death and decay from him. When he would go out into the garden as a young boy, they would send maids out and they'd pull all the dead flowers out of the garden. They would rake up all the dead leaves. They never wanted him to see death and decay. And one day he wandered out of his home into the streets and he came across homeless people. He came across people who had died in the streets. He came across his first corpse. And Hughes says this, his reaction was so strong that he set about establishing the teaching that is a fundamentally, that his life is fundamentally suffering. The only thing to do is to escape into nirvana, the state of extinction itself, to go to a place where you don't have to feel anything. This young man's name was Gautama Buddha, whose beliefs are shared by millions of followers around the world. He built a philosophy that is a dramatic and tragic result of trying to protect oneself from the realities of life, including suffering. The Christian faith, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite. It exposes us to the very heart of suffering, the cross. And then takes that suffering and turns it into the beauty of salvation. E. Stanley Jones said Christianity is the only religion that dares ask its followers to accept suffering as a gift from God because it is the only religion that dares say God, too, has suffered Think about that one for a moment. Revelation 13:8 Christ was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Which means before the world was created the cross was already in God's heart. He already knew the suffering that was going to come before that cross ever got put up on Calvary. We trust in one who has suffered on our behalf. We believe in one who has suffered on our behalf. We belong to the God, our Father, who has suffered and knows what it means to walk through suffering. The fact is, in the midst of our suffering, that's when Christ draws near to the brokenhearted, and that's when we draw nearest to him. In that suffering, in the midst of that affliction, in the midst of that pain, whether it was brought on by Satan or by sin or by something seemingly unknown, no matter where that suffering has come from. It's been laid at our feet for us to come to know Christ differently than we ever could. For us to learn patience and dependence. For us to know the depth of what Christ has suffered for us. The depth of what God knows. And that is that He has suffered with us as well.
1: Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for next week as Mark helps us address the losses we experience. For more information about this series and Grace School of Theology, visit our website at gsot.edu.
0: You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Great School of Theology or its leadership.